0: Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 30 through 40 of chapter 11, finally coming to the end of Hebrews 11. If you're using the Pew Bible uh, that you'll find in front of you, that's on page 1008, page 1008. Now, it's this uh, time of year as we finish one year and begin a new year that a lot of evaluations are happening. Semester report cards for school aged children have come out recently, and we've seen how our children have done. College students, you've probably just recently received your grades for the fall semester. And here at Rivermont, we're doing our year-end reviews with the pastors and the staff. And it got me thinking about the importance of recognizing and commending a job that is well done. Right, a good grade can motivate diligence and study, a positive review can encourage continued motivation and joy in our work. I remember when I was in high school, we would have our end of year awards ceremony, and there was this one award that was given by each teacher for each class that they taught, And this award would recognize a student in that class that had displayed both academic excellence and leadership. And for whatever reason, I always wanted to get one of those awards. Now, my freshman year, there was no shot. I was not a very good student. I didn't even really know that the award existed until the award ceremony at the end of the year. So I didn't get any. My sophomore year, I had a little bit more hope that I might receive such an award, but not much. My grades were improving, but not to the point that I would be awarded with this particular commendation. By the time my junior year rolled around, I had started dating a very intelligent young lady named April. For those of you who don't know, that's my wife. And I realized I needed to get my act together. So I worked and I studied and I earned the best grades that I had ever received in high school. And I thought, surely this is the year that I'll get at least one of these awards. Now, the way that they presented them was in ascending order. So all the students who had received one of these awards, they would call out their names and they would go up and they would get their one award. And then the students who received two would go up and then three and then four. The first group was called and no award And I thought, well, maybe I received two awards, (laughs) but no award. And then three, and then four. I didn't think I was going to get this award. You see, I wasn't going to be a valedictorian or a salutatorian. My freshman and sophomore years made it so I'd never be considered for National Honor Society. And I wasn't really bothered by that. It was just a numbers game. And I could not attain those numbers. But what I really wanted was the commendation of the teachers that I knew. These men and women that I spent day in and day out with. The recognition that they saw that I was giving my best and that my best was commendable. I think this is a desire that we all have. We all have this desire to be told that we've done a good job, that we've done well, a good report card, a positive review. Men and women in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s have bragged to me about their Rivermont Summer Bible School report cards that they received when they were 10 years old or younger about the honor and pride they have in this little piece of paper where all the squares for attendance and memorization have been filled in by tiny stickers. Tonight, I hear somebody laughing because they know that that's, was their pride. Somebody even said that they went to somebody's, I think it was maybe a lawyer's office, and they had their degrees from where they went to college and when they went to law school, and then they had their Rivermont Summer Bible School report card framed right next to it. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to... Watch who will receive the Lombardi Trophy given to the team who wins the Super Bowl, and grown men are going to celebrate and cry tears of joy when they're commended for their victory, when they are told, you've done a good job. But more than earthly recognition, I believe that we all have a deep desire for heavenly recognition, to know that we are loved and that we are accepted by God. Now, I realize that as Presbyterians, we have a hard time with awards. We rightly recognize that all of our righteous deeds are but filthy rags. We've been rightly taught that even if we've done everything that we are commanded, that we are still unworthy servants who have only done our duty, as we read in Luke 17. And it's true that there's nothing that we can do to actually earn God's reward. There's no work that we can perform by which we deserve God's commendation. Nevertheless, Hebrews chapter 11 is about how we may be commended by God. This chapter begins, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then this chapter ends in verse 39, and all of these were commended through their faith. The hall of faith is a hall of commendation. It is example after example of men and women who lived in a manner worthy of the calling to which they were called. Of men and women whose heart longed for God's approval. But here is the key. They pursued this commendation by faith. They pursued it believing that not by their might or power or strength or righteousness would they receive the crown of glory, but rather by trusting in the power and righteousness of God alone. Does your heart long to receive such an award? To be told Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, then hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 30 to the end of the chapter. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made Perfect. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now at this time. And we thank you and we praise you, O Lord, our great God. We praise you for the testimony of the prophets, for the statutes of your law, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, For the witness of the apostles. O glorious God, we pray now that you would grant us the spirit of your glory and the brightness of your presence, that as we read and meditate upon your word, we may have understanding through Jesus Christ, our gracious Lord. Amen. Now, as a preacher of God's Word, it's encouraging for me to see that even a Holy Spirit-inspired sermon like the one in the book of Hebrews can go long. It has the feel, as we're reading through the end of chapter 11, that the author to Hebrews gets through Joshua and Rahab, looks down at his watch and realizes, man, I need to wrap things up. So he says in verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, right? Like I've barely gotten through the Pentateuch. I'm just right in Joshua. There's no way I can finish the whole Old Testament here. But his point has been made. And so he doesn't need to go any further. And the point he is making is that a commendable faith trusts God enough to pursue mighty deeds. First, he points to the faith of Joshua. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, when the people of Israel came to the land of Canaan to receive the promise of God, the first city that they had to conquer was the city of Jericho. This was the first step in conquering the land. But it was a walled and fortified city, a strong city. Israel, on the other hand, were a group of nomads. They had no siege work. They didn't have advanced weaponry. And there was no chance that they could defeat this mighty city. But the Lord said to them, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. And then directed them on how they would defeat this mighty city. As you remember, they march around the city for a week but on the seventh day the priests blow their trumpets and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down you see Joshua and Israel were commended not because they were strong enough to take Jericho but because they had the faith to believe that God was strong enough to give them Jericho The same is true of Rahab. We read in verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You see, when Israel was approaching Canaan, they they sent spies in to check out Jericho. And Rahab housed them. She hid them. She covered for them. When the police came looking for them, she threw them off the track. You see, she threw her lot in with Israel because she had faith in the God of Israel. We read her words of faith in Joshua chapter 2, I know that the Lord has given you the land. You see, she believed that God would fulfill his promise, and because of that, she was commended for her faith. Now the author begins listing off more and more examples of those who were commended. There is Gideon, who defeated the Midianite army. Barak, who led Israel against the chariots of Canaan. Samson, who defeated the Philistines. Jephthah, who overthrew the Amorites. King David, who defeated Goliath. Samuel, the judge of Israel. And finally, the prophets, men like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And we read of these men in verses 33 and following who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, a few things to point out from these verses. The first is that those who were commended for their faith were made strong out of weakness you see a faith that is commendable is one that is willing to pursue mighty deeds from the point of weakness and not strength right it would have taken no faith for israel to defeat jericho if the lord had armed his people with m1 abram tanks right just threw them down in 1400 bc boom here's a few tanks now go take jericho That wouldn't have taken any any faith if they would have had such strength of arms. It took faith for them to believe that they would defeat Jericho with trumpets. Goliath towered over David. Gideon had a mere 300 men to defeat the armies. Samson was tied up with his eyes gouged out. Barak was told to advance against 900 iron chariots, and he had to believe that God would somehow defeat these chariots, and the Lord sent rain and clogged up their wheels so that Israel would defeat them. You see, faith has to look past your present weakness, believing that God will be your strength. Second, it says that they obtained promises. You see, a faith that is commendable isn't what you might call a vigilante faith. It isn't faith to gain whatever it is that you want. It is the faith to act on the promises of God, to read his word, and to hear what he says, and believe that if God says Jericho will fall, then you take Jericho. If he says the Canaanite chariots in battle will be disabled, then you charge believing that he will provide the victory. A commendable faith pursues mighty deeds that God commands, not mighty deeds that we imagine on our own. And third, it says that women receive back their dead by resurrection. Here the author is alluding to at least two resurrections that were recorded for us in the Old Testament. There was Zarephath, whom God used Elijah to raise her son from the dead, and in a parallel account, the Shunammite woman whom God used Elisha to raise her son from the dead. And resurrection is the most powerful example of pursuing mighty deeds from a place of weakness, because death is the weakest place that we can be. There's no explaining away circumstances. Once someone is dead, they are dead. But by faith, these saints of old even receive their dead back from the grave. And if we would have a commendable faith, then we too must pursue such mighty deeds. But not like the world seeks glory through a display of our strength but rather in weakness and in trust in the Word of God, we must go forward believing that God will keep His Word even if it means He will have to raise us from the dead. You see, this is the faith that is commendable because all of the glory for victory belongs to God and not to us. We get the wrong idea if we think that these men and women had the personal strength to accomplish these tasks. They didn't, but they trusted the God who had promised that He would win the victory. And this is what each of us are called to as well, to receive strength and weakness, to obey promises, and to trust Him even unto death. In Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Christ looked at His disciples, and He gave them a promise, and a command. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, it is the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth that is the mighty deed that he is calling his people to pursue this day. And He has promised that He will empower us in our weakness by His Spirit. And this is what you are called to, Christian. To pursue the mighty deed of witnessing in your home, and in your school, in your workplaces, and in your neighborhood. It's to tell of Christ's victory on the cross. That He died for sin and rose from the dead. And that all who look to Him in faith will be saved. And this is why we as a congregation feel persuaded that we are to go out with the gospel, to go out of this church into the surrounding neighborhood of Rivermont, and to go out in the weakness of pickleball and of art classes and of fall festivals, to go out in the weakness of prayer walks and play groups in the park, why we go out in the weakness and foolishness of the gospel, seeking to see gospel relationships form, seeking to see God work salvation in the lives of our neighbors, accomplishing what we cannot on our own, but that He will accomplish by the power of His Spirit. Now, seemingly out of nowhere, the author transitions from mighty deeds to mighty trials. Or to use his words, from those who escaped the edge of the sword in verse 34 to those who were killed by the sword in verse 37. And in doing so, he quickly dispels any notion of triumphalism or what we might call the prosperity gospel. You see, a commendable faith is not a faith that always wins the earthly battles or always escapes the earthly traps. A commendable faith Is not a faith that always receives healing or earthly deliverance. Look at verses 35 through 38. There we read, beginning in the middle of verse 35, some "some who, who were commended were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Each of these hardships that we have recorded here are rooted in historical accounts of God's people being mistreated. The prophets in particular were treated with great contempt by the world. Zechariah and Jeremiah were both stoned. were told that Isaiah was sawn in two. Elijah went about in skins, fleeing for his life over and over again. And this is where the audience of this letter finds themselves as well. They were under the pressure of persecution. We read in chapter 10 of the audience, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What does it mean to have a commendable faith? Well, it means that you are willing to endure mighty trials for the sake of the gospel. Even as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we, who are the people of God, need to hear this truth. Because in the flesh, it is so very easy and so very understandable to feel as though hardship and persecution and struggle are signs of God's disapproval. It's so much of the flesh to think that if things are not going well for you, it's because you are living outside of the will of God, that he's frowning on you and saying, you need to try better. But your hardships and your sufferings in your life are not signs of God's disapproval. It is not God's way of giving you a frowny face on your homework or an F on your report card. The pain that you endure, the weakness that you feel, the sins that have been committed against you are not signs that you lack a commendable faith. Rather, a willingness to endure trials is a commendable faith. It is a faith that the Lord Jesus looks upon with approval. Even as the Apostle James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The clearest example of this truth, of course, is the Lord Jesus himself. For he lived a life that was free of sin, He continually obeyed the Father, and at his baptism, the divine voice broke into this world and declared over Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. But it was the will of the Father to crush him. It was the plan from all eternity that he would be delivered over to lawless men who would crucify the Lord of glory. And so the one who earned and deserved commendation was also the one who went to the cross and endured the shame and the guilt, who poured out his blood and paid the price for our sin. It was the perfectly righteous one who became a curse for us. And people looked at him and they jeered. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. If you are the beloved son of God, why are you enduring such trials? The crowd said to him. And the enemy will come to you with the same lies. As you struggle and suffer, as you endure and lament the pain of this broken world, the enemy will whisper in your ear, If God truly loved you, he would not allow you to go through this trial. If God truly loved you, he would not allow you to lose your parent. He wouldn't allow you to lose that pregnancy. He wouldn't allow you to lose your child. He would not allow you to lose your health or your property. He would not allow you to go about in pain. If he truly accepted you, why would you struggle in this way? Why would you deal with depression? If you were truly called to share the gospel with the neighborhood, you would be seeing more conversions. You wouldn't be shut out of public spaces. Why are you being targeted for abuse? You must not be commendable to God. But Christian. He is a liar. He is a liar, and he's been a liar from the beginning. He wants you to doubt God's love and acceptance for you through Jesus Christ. But a commendable faith faces mighty trials and endures under those mighty trials, knowing that his approval comes from God through Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, a commendable faith is a willing to endure mighty trials. Now, as I said earlier, when the award ceremony for my junior year came, I was hopeful I would receive an award. But as the names were called for each class, I became more and more convinced that it just was not to be. The usual students received their commendation, one or two certificates, and there was a few who received three, and there was one student who received four. And by this time, I knew I would never receive one of these awards. But in a moment that surprised me, and I think everyone else in the whole school, including my teachers, it was announced that one student had received five of these awards. And when they called my name my jaw hit the floor. I couldn't believe it. Now, I need to make sure you understand, these awards didn't amount to much more than a gold sticker. An attaboy on a piece of cardstock. It wasn't something that you would put on a college transcript or even brag about 25 years later as you preach a sermon. (laughs) But it meant a lot to me. Because more than anything, it showed that these teachers that I respected and that I knew looked at my work and were willing to commend it. And in the final two verses of Hebrews 11, the author draws together all of his teaching on faith and commendation that it receives. There we read, and all of these Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. A few things that we need to note from these verses. First, we see again that these saints were commended not for their works, but for their faith, their trust in God. This is made abundantly clear when we look at the contrast between those who were mentioned. Think of the contrast between Joshua and Rahab. Joshua was a man, an Israelite, and a commander of armies, and he was commended for his faith. But Rahab was a woman, a Canaanite, and a prostitute, and she was commended for her faith. Joshua destroyed the city of Jericho, and Rahab saved her Jericho family. You have people whose faith was displayed through winning victories and escaping the sword and those who displayed their faith through being tortured and dying by the sword. You have old men and young boys. You have those who display their faith by saving a child and others who display their faith by killing a giant. You see, it's not the circumstances that lead to commendation. Rather, it is the faith to walk through whatever circumstance God has ordained for you to walk through. This is what Paul meant when he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All of us have different circumstances, different strengths and weaknesses, and these are real differences, but they are not determinative of our relationship with God. Rather, it is faith and faith alone through which we are commended. Second, we read that they were commended but did not receive the promise. This can sound a bit discouraging and a bit confusing. What does it mean that they didn't receive the promise? Didn't Abraham and Sarah receive their promised son? Didn't Israel receive their promised deliverance out of Egypt? Didn't Joshua and Israel capture Jericho? Wasn't Rahab's family saved? Didn't the Shunammite woman receive her child back by resurrection? Well, yes, they did receive these temporal aspects of God's promise. But the ultimate promise is something better than this life. It's something better than Canaan. It's even something better than a resurrected child. What is it? What well, is the heavenly reward in Christ? The heavenly promise, the city that is to come. Because Canaan is merely a dusty piece of land. And every child resurrected in Scripture went back down to the grave, from the Shunammite woman's son to Lazarus, whom Jesus rose from the dead. But as verse 35 tells us, those who die in faith, having not received the promise, do so so that they might rise again to a better life. And this is the mighty reward of faith, a better life. A life free of sin and sorrow and death. A life where every tear will be wiped from our eyes and pain will be no more. But these Old Testament saints, though they were commended, they still await that day of promise. They still await the day of their full reward. Their commendation was a promise of something better to come. And so too do we we await the day when Christ will come again. And in that day, we will finally receive the great reward that He has won for us, even life everlasting. Several months back when we began chapter 11, I noted that the word commendation as used here is parallel to the theological term justification. Justification means a declaration by God of acceptance and forgiveness that we are accepted by God as free from our sin and righteous because of Christ's death and Christ's righteousness given to us it is a testimony of God that all who are in Christ because of his life death and resurrection are no longer guilty but are pardoned of all their sin and accepted before God Now, when we are honest with ourselves, we realize that there's nothing that we could do to earn God's commendation. There's no mighty deeds we could perform. There are no mighty trials we could endure that would make us fit to receive God's mighty reward. We are commended by faith alone, only by placing our full faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone. And when we are willing to trust Jesus with our life, then we will receive that mighty reward of the Father, declaring over each one of us, Behold, my child, in whom I am well pleased. Christian, above everything else, seek this reward. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you and as we reflect upon the weakness and the brokenness of our lives, we know that we are not deserving of your commendation and of your reward. And so in faith, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to His life for our righteousness. We look to His death for our forgiveness. And we look to His resurrection for our victory. Oh God, would you give us such faith that we might go forward believing that one day we will receive the crown of glory and then we will cast it at your feet, Lord Jesus, and worship you unto eternity. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.